the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is producing, Clark Hilton engineering, and Dan Rice has given up the use of his office for the sake of of the cause. Today we're going to talk with James Gall. He's a best-selling author. His latest book is titled The Feeler, Discovering How Sensitivity Helps You Discern and Act on God's Voice. He talks about emotions and, you know, are they a gift from God? How do we relate them to our spiritual life? He'll be joining us in the five o'clock hour. Again, James Gall. Well, taking a look at the uh, headline news earlier this week, the Centers for Disease Control, as you probably know, uh, said that nationally people who are vaccinated against COVID-19 don't need to wear a mask in most indoor or outdoor settings. Well, now it's up to states to make the next move. Well, on Thursday, Governor Kate Brown from Oregon uh, followed the new CDC guidance. However, the Oregon Health Authority, they're still working to update the rules regarding what businesses will be required to do to let customers drop their masks. Governor Brown said some businesses may prefer simple uh, simply operating under the current guidance for now. National retailers like Costco, Walmart, Trader Joe's, they've put out statements that vaccinated customers are welcome to take off their masks inside. But in Oregon, the mask mandate for businesses is still in place until an update comes out. Well, the Oregon Health Authority said that they could um, eventually mean asking for proof. Uh, we'll have to have a system in place for asking about vaccine status. That's a quote for Dr. Or rather from Dr. Dean Seidlinger of OHA. Landon Birmingham owns uh, Physique Fitness in Salem. He wishes Oregon had guidance ready before announcing it would eventually follow the CDC. Everybody gets really excited and they want those things to happen effective immediately. He says, we look like the bad guy. Um, we look like we're not adopting this potentially wonderful rule. Well, the biggest thing is we just need clarity. Well, he and others say expecting businesses to ask for vaccination status isn't realistic and they don't want to uh, be the, uh, the bad guy for the state because how are we going to ask everybody for proof? Well, most grocery stores in, in uh, the Portland metro area say that they plan to keep masking rules for now. Meanwhile, for everyday people, uh, who aren't always able to uh, catch every news conference, keeping up with the changing guidance and the uh, gray areas regarding mask wearing is tough. It's been struggling uh, uh, through uh, this whole quarantine time, uh, things changing, statuses uh, being shifted from one to the other, and people are quite frankly confused. Some are demanding that we follow the CDC guidelines and private retail outlets who are saying, look, we are concerned about liability if we don't follow the guidance that we've been given last by the governor. Hopefully this can be clarified soon as OHA comes up with the latest. Well, Oregon, as I mentioned, is considering vaccine passports, a requirement to remove your mask in a business. The Oregon Health Authority appears to be moving toward requiring passports for anyone who wants to uh, take their mask off inside a business that will allow it. It comes, uh, as mentioned, after the governor said the state would follow the CDC's um, guidelines, which came out on Thursday. Well, those guidelines said fully vaccinated people do not need to wear a mask inside or outside 
in most places. Oregon's current COVID-19 risk framework requires masks and social distancing inside all retail stores in all counties. But that could change very soon when the OHA is expected to announce new guidance that will allow businesses to relax their rules and follow CDC suggestions. Well, again, if it sounds confusing, it is. Even for the experts like Dr. Jennifer Vines, who's the health officer for Multnomah County. Uh, Dr. Vine says we're not giving direction yet, so we are similarly confused and we're trying to uh, to look through and fully understand the various mask frameworks. Well, straight uh, state rather epidemiologists, and again, we're talking about Oregon, Dr. Dean Seidlinger, he says the state will likely make businesses check for proof of vaccination at the door, something many are not prepared to do and really don't want to. We would anticipate that a business and establishment uh, will have to have a system in place for asking about vaccine status and verifying that, Dr. Seidlinger says. Right now, I would anticipate that um, uh, that would uh, be seeing a, a card with the individual's name, the vaccine they've gotten, the date and where they got it. Um, they could be uh, There could be a picture on the vaccine card or a record from their provider on the phone. Now, my guess is there's going to be some pushback among those who feel the state has already intruded enough into their privacy. Well, he was talking about what many call a vaccine passport. It's been discussed in terms of international travel and now more frequently in connection to vaccinations closer to home. It's not a popular idea, even within the public health professionals and not with Dr. Vines and certainly not with a good number of private citizens. Dr. Vines says, I publicly have never supported the notion of a vaccine passport. Very few people have because it really raises so many other policy questions around enforcement and equity questions around people who just haven't had a chance to get vaccinated. And so I've never supported them. And uh, yet here we are with a mask. And yet here we are with a scenario that either looks like honor system or vaccine passport. Well, Dr. Seidlinger said proof of vaccination is important, quoting Dr. Seidlinger, who said in order to meet the CDC guidance that someone who is vaccinated does not need to wear a mask or keep their distance, we need to know who is vaccinated. We need someone to disclose their vaccination status so they can remove their uh, mask in a setting and not keep their distance, Dr. Seidlinger says. Well, grocery store chains in Oregon, including Fred Meyer, Safeway, Albertsons, New Seasons, QFC, and others say that they are going to keep requiring all customers to wear masks for now. What I anticipate is sort of a, a two-tier system, those who are vaccinated and those who are not. And perhaps um, those who are not vaccinated, whether by choice or by lack of opportunity or because uh, they have a medical condition that uh, precludes uh, adding a vaccination to the mix, um, we're going to look at one another with something of a side eye. And I, I say one another. I'm talking about the the broader community. Um, I see, again, greater confusion and contention ahead. Let's pray that that is not the case and a solution that doesn't um, require us to be monitored in such a way can be discovered. Meanwhile, Texas reported zero deaths from COVID-19 on Sunday, just two months after Governor Greg Abbott drew heat from the White House for rolling back business restrictions and lifting the state's mask mandate. It marked the first time the Lone Star State reported no coronavirus deaths in about 14 months. That's according to the state's health data. Governor Abbott said the case numbers reported on Sunday were 388. They were the lowest in more than 13 months, while the number of hospitalizations was the lowest in 11 months. President Biden skewered Texas, as well as Mississippi, at the beginning of March for relaxing knock- uh, lockdown measures, accusing state officials of Neanderthal thinking. 
At the time, Governor Abbott had announced that businesses would be allowed to operate at full capacity, even though some health experts cautioned at the time that dropping preventative measures could lead to a spike in cases. And again, Texas reports zero COVID deaths two months after being slammed for Neanderthal thinking. I think it's a big mistake, the president said, speaking to reporters following the announcement from Texas. Look, I hope everybody's really uh, realized by now, rather, that masks make a difference. Well, do they? We are on the cusp of being able to fundamentally change the nature of this disease because of the way in which we are able to get vaccinated uh, in uh, vaccines, rather, in people's arms, in quote. Well, since then, however, caseloads nationwide have dropped as more Americans are vaccinated. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention also updated its guidance uh, last Thursday, saying that it's safe to fully for fully vaccinated Americans to forego social distancing and go most places indoor or outdoor without a mask, bringing an end to um, uh, what for most of the year was mandatory face coverings in most parts of the country. Well, in other news, Americans have until, well, today, May the 17th, to file their 2020 income taxes with the Internal Revenue Service. Well, the IRS, as you probably know, delayed the deadline from April 15th to May 17th, and that was to allow for more breathing room for taxpayers and the IRS alike to cope with changes brought on by the coronavirus pandemic. Now, if taxpayers are unable to file their taxes by Monday, today, they can request an extension, as would have been the case on the 15th of April, until October 15th. The IRS wants to continue to do everything possible to help taxpayers as they navigate the unusual circumstances related to the pandemic, while also working on the important tax administration responsibilities. That's a quote from the commissioner of the IRS, Chuck Reddick, in a statement in March when the tax filing date was extended. Now, if you cannot file your tax returns by the 17th, it's very important that you file your extension today. And again, you can uh, request an extension uh, until the 15th of October. More on that in just a few moments, but I do need to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're anticipating a conversation in our next hour with James Gall. He's the author of The Feeler, Discovering How Sensitivity Helps You Discover and Act on God's Voice. The book is published by Whitaker. He'll join us in the quarter hour of the next, the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking about the fact that today your 2020 tax deadline is looming. Everything you need to know about filing, we're going to talk about it here in just a moment. The IRS wants to continue to do everything possible to help taxpayers navigate this rather unusual season. IRS Commissioner Chuck Reddick said in a statement back in March when the tax filing date was extended. Now, taxpayers will face penalties and interest if they do not file their taxes by the 17th, today's deadline. However, you do uh, have the opportunity, as has always been the case, to request an extension until October 17th. However, penalties and interest will apply unless you file for that extension today. So make note of that. Well, the IRS said individual taxpayers who need additional time to file beyond uh, today's deadline can request a filing extension until October 15th by filing, uh, rather filing the form 4868. That's form 4868 through their tax professional, their tax software, or using the free file tool on the IRS website. However, the IRS said that filing the 4868 form gives taxpayers until October 15th to file their 2020 uh, tax returns, but does not grant an extension of time to pay taxes due. Taxpayers should pay their federal income tax due by today and avoid interest and penalties. 
So if you don't know the calculation, because that's why you're filing an extension, it can make it rather um, challenging, but you can guesstimate and at least uh, pay uh, some of what you believe you will owe. Well, why have has the extension been put into place? Why May the 17th? Well, in March, the IRS, you may recall, announced that the traditional tax filing deadline was going to be moved from the 15th of April until today. Well, the decision to extend the deadline, it came after an ex- intense year for the chronically underfunded IRS. The pandemic hit in the middle of last year's tax filing season. It set the agency back in terms of processing, so it wasn't uh, extending grace to taxpayers, but rather to the tax collecting agency. The IRS also has been a key player in doling out government relief payments, and they're currently helping to send out the third round of payments in the middle of the current tax filing season. Additionally, the extension gives the IRS time to issue guidance on recent tax law changes. The American Rescue Plan excludes the first $10,200 of unemployment benefits from federal taxes for those making less than $150,000. Well, different tax um, due dates for Uh, Winter storm victims is also partially an explanation. Earlier this year, following the disaster declarations issued by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, the IRS announced relief for victims of the uh, February storm, uh, winter storms in Texas, Oklahoma, and Louisiana. Those states have until June the 15th to file various individual and business tax returns and make tax payments. This extension to May 17th does not affect the June deadline. Uh, So, again, there's um, some difference there. Well, the IRS offers a free file tool for taxpayers to file their tax returns electronically. The IRS free file offers brand name tax software for taxpayers with an income of $72,000 or less in the year 2020. Taxpayers who earned more can use free file uh, fillable forms, the electronic version of IRS paper forms. The tool also lets taxpayers get an automatic extension uh, of time to a file if they need it. The free file tool is also a way to get a refund fast. Filing le- filing rather electronically and using direct deposit is the fastest and most um, accurate way to file and get a refund. Uh, by the way, when should you expect a refund? The IRS says it's taking more than 21 days to issue refunds for more uh, for some 2020 tax returns that require review, including incorrect recovery uh, rebate uh, credit amounts uh, or that uh, use 2019 income. Uh, to figure the earned income tax credit and additional child tax credit. So a lot of uh, variables here. Some tax returns take longer to process than others for many reasons. If it includes errors, if it's incomplete, uh, it's um, affected by identity theft or fraud, includes a claim uh, filed for an earned income tax credit. It includes Form 8379, which is a spouse allocation, uh, injured spouse um, allocation PDF, which would take uh, up to 14 weeks to process or if it needs further review in general. So there could be some uh, delays. Also, contribution to an IRA health savings account uh, deadline and extending that um, deadline to uh, file form 1040 series uh, returns uh, today. The IRS automatically postponed the date for individuals to make 2020 contributions to their individual retirement arrangements and Roth, uh, Roth IRAs. So, uh, again, a lot of variables, but you can check with the IRS on that. The bottom line is today is the tax filing deadline for most people other than those who are affected by uh, storms uh, earlier in the year, three states excluded. Well, the Treasury Department said uh, today that 39 million families are set to receive monthly child payments beginning the 15th of July. The payments are part of President Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package, 
which expanded the child tax credit for one year and made it possible to prepay the benefits on a monthly basis. Nearly 88% of children are set to receive the benefits without their parents needing to take any additional action. Qualified families will receive a payment of up to $300 per month for each child under six and up to $250 per month for children between the ages of six and 17. The child tax credit was previously capped at $2,000 and only paid out to families with income tax obligations after they filed with the IRS. But for this year, couples earning $150,000 or less, they can receive the full payments on the 15th of each month, in most cases by direct deposit. The benefits total $3,600 annually for children under six and $3,000 for those who are older. The IRS will determine eligibility based on the 2019 and 2020 tax years, but people will also be able to update their status through an online portal. The administration is also setting up another online portal for non-filers who might be eligible for the child tax credit. President Biden has proposed an extension of the increased child tax credit through 2025 as part of his $1.8 trillion family plan. Outside analysts estimate that the payments could essentially have child poverty. The expanded credits could cost roughly $100 billion a year. Well, the president made an announcement. I won't uh, go into all of it. It's relatively short, but he said the American Rescue Plan is delivering critical tax relief to middle class and hard pressed working families with children whose tax dollars are funding this. Uh, will um, With today's announcement, about 90 percent of families with children will get this new tax uh, relief automatically starting in July. While the American Rescue Plan provides for this vital tax relief to hardworking families for this year, Congress must pass the American Families Plan to ensure that working families will be able to count on this relief for years to come. For working families with children, this tax cut sends a clear message. Help is here. Well, it's a, not exactly a tax cut. Uh, you pay the taxes, and if you've paid the taxes, you may get something of a refund. Um, if you've not paid taxes, you'll be funded through the taxes others have paid. Well, in other news, um, Senator Sanders uh, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are pushing back after President Biden voiced his support for Israel. It was rather weak uh, support, but nonetheless saying that they have a right to defend themselves, stating the obvious. There is a growing schism in the Democrat Party over the U.S. relationship with Israel as some progressive lawmakers demand that President Biden take a tougher stance against the Israeli government with an increased aggressive confrontation with Palestinian groups and uh, the uh, violent attack by Hamas. Well, the divide comes with the worst violence between Israel and Palestinians since the devastating 2014 war in Gaza. The outbreak began in East Jerusalem when Palestinian protests and clashes with police broke out in response to Israeli police tactics during Ramadan and the threatened eviction of dozens of Palestinian families by Jewish settlers. President Biden condemned the violence and asserted Israel's right to defend itself from uh, rockets that were flown into um, uh, Tel Aviv and uh, focused toward Jerusalem, eliciting a swift backlash from some members of his own party who wanted the president to address what they viewed as human rights violations by Israeli forces in Gaza. But progressives weren't happy about Biden's reaction. This is happening with the support of the United States. Representative Ocasio-Cortez said on Saturday, tweeting a video of Israeli uh, Israel bombing and destroying a building that housed media organizations, including Al Jazeera and the Associated Press. Israel contended the buildings contained Hamas cells and was uh, 
uh, response to missiles that had been flying into Israel previously. Well, in a New York Times op-ed on Friday, Senator Bernie Sanders similarly urged the White House to speak out against the Israeli government's actions, arguing that U.S. involvement is vital to de-escalation. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Need to take a quick break? We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, objected to a news site calling her Israel criticism an outburst, drawing pretty quick backlash. And Bernie Sanders says the U.S. should revisit foreign aid to Israel, part of which funds the Iron Dome defense system. Meanwhile, Benjamin Netanyahu is calling out the AP after claiming that they weren't warned about the Israeli uh, airstrike. They share a space, apparently, with Hamas. Netanyahu says Israel wants to degrade Hamas uh, and their will, warning the campaign, will continue. AP is being uh, torched for claiming they were unaware of the Hamas intel operation in their building. Critics say it's difficult to believe. Well, the GOP governors say that they learned about the mask reversal from the media rather than from the Biden White House. Republican governors are blasting the administration, claiming it didn't uh, directly inform them about new federal guidance on face masks. Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts, he says he found out about the new guidance, declaring it safe for most fully vaccinated Americans to stop wearing masks and to end social distancing practices through news outlets, uh, not from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention or from President Biden's administration. I found out about it in the news, just like the general public did, Ricketts said in an exclusive interview on Fox News. Governor Ricketts uh, compared the lack of communication over the uh, new mask guidance to the confusion surrounding the CDC's decision to abruptly pause um, jabs of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine after reports that the vaccine may have resulted in blood clots for a small group of recipients. New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, he said his office also learned about the announcement through the press. Due to the inconsistent, convoluted, and ever-changing guidance messaging from President Biden's CDC, the confusion from uh, businesses and schools across the country is understandable. Uh, here in New Hampshire, the state fully phased out uh, restrictions a week ago, so we have already provided businesses with maximum flexibility, and now they choose to handle the latest guidance from the CDC. But, of course, many of these uh, outlets are looking to governors to clarify and explain. In other developments, Dr. Fauci is defending the CDC's roundabout on mask mandates in the midst of confusion from the new guidance. He says the pandemic exposed the undeniable effects of racism in the U.S., uh, Fauci has apparently been assimilated. Fully vaccinated people can ditch their masks indoors as well as physical distancing, according to the CDC. But that doesn't mean private retailers and others uh, cannot require you to wear them in their facilities. Meanwhile, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki insists the new guidance on mask wearing comes from the CDC and not from the president. There have been a considerable outrage after social media users discovered a series of Hitler praising tweets from a CNN freelancer. Well, CNN is under fire for having hired a writer who posted several times on social media that he believes the world needs another Hitler. Social media users demanded that the network respond after discovering the tweets from one of its freelance contributors, Adil Raji, Raja, uh, who has written dozens of pieces for the outlet. Well, after some digging, it turned out to be one of the several messages that he had posted praising the Nazi leader. The only reason I am supporting Germany in the finals, Hitler was a German, and he did good uh, with those Jews, he wrote. Uh, he wrote during the 2014 FIFA World Cup soccer tournament. Um, uh, Raja, uh, last um, 
had a CNN byline in September of last year. He still lists his affiliation with the network on LinkedIn. Heil Hitler, he wrote the following day, Twitter users shared screenshots of the messages. My understanding is CNN has sent, uh, since severed their relationship. In other developments, Jewish groups are condemning CNN's Don Lemon for remarks suggesting black and brown Jews don't exist. He needs to get out more. A communist group uh, is uh, touting plans to burn Anne Frank's diary, calling her a bleach demon. Not even sure what that means. And ghost guns, Nazi paraphernalia, nearly $1 million in meth has been seized at a Pennsylvania home. A possible new Sanofi GSK coronavirus vaccine is showing promise in trials, the companies say. And Michigan, uh, Michigan Governor Whitmer is looking to shut down the Inbridge pipeline during the national gas shortage. A Nashville gas station is trolling Hunter Biden. Their message, hope gas prices don't get too high. And the family of a man eyed in Whitney, uh, or rather Whitey Bulger's death, calls for his release from solitary confinement, saying enough is enough. And a Nebraska police shootout left one man dead after the bar- after he barricaded himself inside a home. Black Lives Matter co-founder, who has a $3 million mansion, says real estate is racist. And long working hours are a killer, according to the World Health Organization. A new study shows more Americans are retiring early to enjoy the senior years after a year of COVID-19 isolation. Israel continues uh, responding Striking on Gaza over the weekend and on Monday from the Wall Street Journal as the latest war between Hamas and Israel enters its second week. The narrative is following a familiar script. Hamas fires rockets at Israeli cities. Israel retaliates by bombing the source of the rockets in Gaza. Hamas plays up the civilian casualties and the world leans on Israel to stop defending itself. Let's hope this isn't the trap the Biden administration falls into as the fighting continues. So far, the White House has supported Israel's right to self-defense, but the weekend bombing of a building in Gaza that uh, housed media offices, including reporters from the Associated Press and Al Jazeera, have led to cries of outrage and an admonition from the State Department to Israel about protecting journalists in combat zones. From another story in the Daily Wire, the Israel Defense Forces, the IDF, released footage over the weekend of an operation to target Palestinian terrorists that was called off because officials believed there were children in the area, perhaps used as human shields. And a Jewish reporter was attacked at a Seattle anti-Semitic rally uh, in the process of covering the event, which is already tense uh, uh, for Jews in, in attendance. He was assaulted by a fringe activist. He was then summarily kicked out of the public rally as the woman uh, hit um Uh, hit him with a Palestinian flag. Anti-Israel activists in the crowd did nothing. Some of the assault was caught on cell phone video. Uh, It wasn't the, he wasn't the only Jew assaulted. There were apparently others. The New York Times says the new influx of refugees are here due to the pandemic. The past few months have also brought a much different wave of migrants that the uh, Biden administration was not prepared to address pandemic refugees. There are people um, arriving in ever greater numbers from far flung countries where the coronavirus has caused unimaginable levels of illness and death and decimated economies and livelihoods. If eking out an existence was challenging in such countries before, in many of them, it has now become almost impossible, according to the New York Times. Byron York points out this is a disaster entirely of Joe Biden's making. The U.S. would never tolerate such a situation at its airports or seaports, but large parts of the U.S.-Mexico border are open and people from around the world see an opportunity.
Meanwhile, from another story, the Biden administration's Health and Human Services Department diverted more than $2 billion meant for COVID-19 relief to the cost of caring for thousands of child migrants who have come across the border, the southern border, as the White House continues to struggle to get a border crisis under control. Well, Twitter has suspended a man for uh, stating the obvious, a man cannot get pregnant. That will get you booted off of Twitter. Apparently, science is a violation of Twitter policy now. A CNN reporter tweets pro-Hitler messages, as I mentioned earlier, and CNN claimed they never heard of him. Later, the, uh, they discovered they had. In fact, uh, they know and employ him. After all, he shows up 54 times on CNN and on CNN's website uh, when you search his name. Again, that relationship, my understanding is, has since just today been severed. Well, a pride group uh, wants police booted from the uh, uh, marching at the New York Pride Parade, claiming the NYPD represents violence. And according to a Washington Post op-ed, Iron Dome perpetuates war. Now, Iron Dome is the system that Israel uses to protect its civilian population. But the op-ed argues Um, that so few Israelis are killed by terrorists that it releases the Israeli leadership from political pressure to resolve the Gaza-Israel conflict. So they're suggesting the Iron Dome be disassembled so that there are sufficient Israeli casualties uh, to provoke Israeli leadership. Rather interesting logic. Prince Harry says America's First Amendment is bonkers, it's always entertaining when British authorities complain about the rights of the people who beat them in a war to secure those rights. Well, Israeli uh, strikes killed dozens and toppled a building in Gaza Strip. The Associated Press denied any knowledge of the fact that the Gaza office building was shared with Hamas terrorists. And um, the CNN uh, contributor deleted a tweet saying the world today needs a Hitler. That's the world we live in right now. And better late than never, the FBI reclassifies a 2017 shooting of a Republican lawmaker as domestic terrorism. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we're going to talk with Dr. James Gall. He's the author most recently of The Feeler, Discovering How Sensitivity Helps You Discern and Act on God's Voice. The book is published by Whitaker House. Also want to let you know about a PBS documentary on Billy Graham's impact on U.S. politics. Uh, That's coming up this week. We'll give you more details later in the show. Well, Maxine Waters is among lawmakers accused of abusing the privilege of air marshals on flights. And House members announced a bipartisan deal for a January 6th commission. That, of course, is the day the U.S. Capitol was stormed. Eighty percent of Republicans agree with the decision to replace Liz Cheney as uh, one of the conference leaders. And the feds announced July 15th as the start of the expanded child tax credits. Well, an inconvenient truth, Texas, which is a population of 30 million, reports zero deaths two months after Biden called for its reopening plan, Neanderthal thinking. Hmm. Only 33,000 New Yorkers fled to um, uh, Florida during the pandemic, over 33,000. You can find out more at the Washington Examiner. And a Jesus statue has toppled, been toppled, and an American flag burned in a New York City church attack. Meanwhile, President Biden revokes measures to protect statues. The University of California will no longer consider SAT and ACT scores in admissions decisions. And the green uh, push presents cybersecurity problems of its own. 
more in the Washington Examiner. And the Microsoft Board of Directors forced Bill Gates out over an office affair, according to Fox Business. Well, this day in history, 1792, the New York Stock Exchange has its beginning as a group of brokers uh, met under a tree on Wall Street and signed the Buttonwood Agreement. 1946, President Harry S. Truman seizes control of the nation's railroads, delaying but not preventing a a threatened strike by engineers and trainmen. 1954, on this day in history, a unanimous U.S. Supreme Court hands down its Board Board of Education, Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka decision, which held that racially segregated public schools were inherently unequal and therefore unconstitutional. 1996, President Bill Clinton signs Megan's Law, a measure requiring neighborhood notification when sex offenders move in. Megan's Law is named for Megan Kanka, a seven-year-old New Jersey girl who was taken from her home and murdered. 2004, Massachusetts becomes the first state to allow same-sex marriages. 2017, on this day in history, Private Chelsea Manning, the soldier who was sentenced to 35 years in a military prison for giving classified materials to WikiLeaks, walks free after serving seven years behind bars, his sentence having been commuted by President Barack Obama in January of 2017. And 2019, on this day in history, Grumpy Cat, Feline internet legend known for her permanent scowl dies at age seven. Well, Elise um, Stefanak has been elected to replace Liz Cheney, who was ousted last week as the House GOP conference chair. Stefanak told House Republicans the conference has a unifying goal, winning back the majority in 2022. Well, Stefanak again uh, replaces Representative Liz Cheney with party tension over the future. The House Republican conference on Friday. Uh, voted to elect her as its chairwoman, uh, sealing the New York lawmaker's assent two days after the group ousted Representative Liz Cheney with pretty strong tensions over the party's future. Stefanik said she truly uh, is honored and humbled to earn the uh, support of her Republican colleagues and vowed to save our country from the radical Democrat socialist agenda. I know we are all here to serve the people, the voters who place their trust and faith in us, uh, you have put yours in me to serve this conference, and I will never lose sight of that. I will always work my very hardest to uh, earn your trust every day, Stefanik went on to say. She added, this will not be an easy job, but I know we are stronger when united as a team. Well, her appointment as House Republican Conference Chair came just days after House Republicans voted to remove Liz Cheney, Republican out of Wyoming, from leadership. Cheney had remained steadfast in her opposition to former President Donald Trump and his dangerous lies about the 2020 election being stolen from him, putting her at odds with other House Republicans who wanted to move on from January 6th and unite the party to win the 2022 midterms. Cheney was removed by a voice vote. Stefanik said she has uh, spent the last several weeks speaking to Republican lawmakers, listening to their feedback, their goals and their priorities. Members of our conference have a simple and unifying goal, winning back the majority in 2022 uh, and to save our country from the radical Democrats. Stefanik also outlined her goals as conference chair, which included a disciplined, unified message from Republicans on key issues, an offensive communications plan every single day, and an effort to empower all our members to shine. Meanwhile, on the other side of the aisle, the Democratic National Committee compared the GOP to a dumpster fire that has finally, or rather fully, engulfed them. Well, apparently the flames have been extinguished. Well, the Supreme Court is uh, set to hear a major abortion case 
uh, that's uh, going to give the justices an opportunity to reconsider the precedent set by the landmark Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey decisions. The, the uh, court uh, today announced it uh, in an order that it would take the case involving a Mississippi law passed in 2018 that bans abortions after 15 weeks with limited exceptions. The law was blocked by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals as uh, under existing precedent. States may not ban abortions before fetal viability, which is typically around 22 weeks or later. The case, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, asks whether all pre-viability restrictions on abortion are unconstitutional. Mississippi is asking the justices to review the viability standard, arguing that the rule prevents states from defending material health uh, and maternal health and its interest in protecting life. It is well past time for the court to revisit the wisdom of the viability bright line rule, Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch wrote in a brief filed with the justices. Jackson Women's uh, Health Organization and Abortion Clinic in Mississippi asked the court not to take the case. In an unbroken line of decisions over the last uh, 50 years, this court has held that the Constitution guarantees each person the right to decide whether to continue a pre-viability pregnancy. Hillary Schneller, an attorney for the clinic, wrote in a filing. Schneller claims that the state's argument was based on a misunderstanding of the core principles of earlier Supreme Court decisions. And while the state has uh, interests throughout pregnancy before viability, the state's interests are not strong enough to support the prohibition of abortion, she wrote. Well, it will be the first abortion case to be argued before the Supreme Court since uh, Justice uh, Amy Coney Barrett has uh, been confirmed, creating a 6-3 conservative majority on the court. In a statement on Monday, March for Life President Gene uh, Mancini noted that the U.S. is uh, one of only seven countries, including China and North Korea, that allows abortions through all nine months of pregnancy. An overwhelming majority of Americans agree that this goes way too far. In fact, 70% think abortion should be limited to, at most, the first three months of pregnancy, she said. Well, states should be allowed to craft laws that are in line with both public opinion on this issue as well as basic human compassion instead of the extreme policy that Roe imposed. The court will hear the case in its term beginning in October. It's likely to reach a decision by June of 2022. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. And um, in the um, quarter hour of the next segment, we'll talk with Dr. James Gall. He's the author of The Feeler, Discovering How Sensitivity Helps You Discern and Act on God's Voice. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Gall, the author of The Feeler, Discovering How Sensitivity Helps You Discern and Act on God's Voice. He'll join us in the next couple of segments. The book is published by Whitaker House and is already a bestseller. Um, Dr. Gall will join us shortly. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said on Monday that President Biden is committed to codifying Roe versus Wade. As I mentioned in the previous um, uh, segment, uh, there is an effort uh, to see if Roe versus Wade can be revisited because the U.S. Supreme Court has decided to hear a major abortion case. Now, that does not necessarily mean they would consider uh, the full weight of Roe versus Wade, but nonetheless, this is significant. But the White House press secretary says President Biden uh, wants uh, to and is committed to codifying Roe versus Wade, the 93 or rather 73 ruling that legalized abortion after the Supreme Court agreed to hear a case that will allow the justices to reconsider the, the precedent set by the landmark decision, Roe 
and Planned Parenthood versus uh, Casey decisions. Well, during a press uh, briefing, Saki declined to comment on the Supreme Court's decision to hear the case, which involves a Mississippi law passed in 2018, and it bans abortions after 15 weeks with limited exceptions. She claimed, again, this is White House Press Secretary Jen Saki, that over the last four years, critical rights like the rights to health care and the right to choose they never complete the sentence to terminate the life of their unborn child in utero have been under withering and extreme attack, including through draconian state laws. Well, it's been under attack since the very day that Roe versus Wade was decided upon and abortion became the law of the land. So I don't know where she's been, but this has been a fight uh, that began uh, in uh, January of 1973 and has continued to this very moment. The president and the vice president are devoted to ensuring that every American, although uh, if you happen to be an unborn American in utero, uh, it doesn't apply, has access to health care, including reproductive health care, regardless of their income, race, health insurance status uh, or immigration status. As such, the president is committed to codifying Roe unrelated to the outcome of this case, she said. Well, the case Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization asks whether all pre-viability restrictions, which uh, at this point is believed to be 22 weeks, I think I could argue the point uh, much sooner, but nonetheless, the viability restrictions on abortion as uh, unconstitutional. Well, the Mississippi law has blocked, or rather was blocked, by the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals as under existing precedent, uh, stating uh, the states may not be... uh, may not ban abortions, rather, before fetal viability, which is typically around 22 weeks or later. Now, Mississippi is asking the justices to review the viability standard, arguing that the rule prevents states from defending maternal health and its interest in uh, protecting life. Uh, it is well past uh, time for the court to revisit the wisdom of the viability bright line rule, Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch wrote in a brief filed with the justices. It will be the first abortion case to be argued before the Supreme Court since Justice Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed, creating a 6-3 conservative majority on the court. Uh, the court will hear the uh, case in its term beginning October. It's likely to reach its decision by June of 2022. And it's important also to point out that as much as we often hope it were the case, um, to refer to justices as being conservative um, and expecting a particular outcome or decision on a case that seems you know, to bear all the hallmarks of a conservative decision has not proven to be a very reliable way of determining or predicting how these justices will ultimately uh, decide the, these cases. Just something to keep in mind. Well, our aim is um, not to do away with corporations. A senator stands up, standing up to big tech, says, we are not hostile to them. We are merely determined that they shall be so handled as to subvert uh, Subserve the public good. We draw the line against misconduct, not against wealth, end quote. Well, for the words shall and subverse, uh, which belong to a bygone century, the above quote could have um, been uttered by Senator Joss Hawley. It's the Missouri Republican, after all, who's been the most vocal critic of both the awesome influence and the political malfeasance of big tech. Those words, though, came from a 1902 State of the Union address of Teddy Roosevelt. Let me repeat them once again. 1902, Teddy Roosevelt. Our aim is not to do away with corporations. We are not hostile to them. We are merely determined that they shall be so handled as to subverse the the public good. Uh, We draw the line against misconduct, not against wealth. Well, perhaps it's time to reconsider those words. 
Uh, so says Douglas Andrews in a recent column. Uh, in a recent op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, uh, Senator Hawley laid out a plan through which Republicans can return uh, to TR, Theodore Roosevelt's and the uh, uh, the party's trust-busting roots. The, the founders understood that concentrations of power in either government or the economy are dangerous, threatening the rule of the people, he wrote. That's why we've curbed monopolies and strictly limited um, the corporation form. They wanted the people to govern the nation, not the an elite, whether the elite resides in government or in business. Well, Hawley proposed three measures for pushing back against a plutocracy, breaking up big tech, which he calls the most powerful corporations in the country and likely in American history, limiting the size of other corporate giants in part by banning mergers and acquisitions of more than $100 billion and by paying closer attention to their efforts to corner a given market. And thirdly, ensuring that our courts are asking the right questions, not just about low prices, but about robust competition. Well, the first of these measures, cutting big tech down to size, would seem to be the most urgent in Hawley's mind. Last month, a little fanfare he introduced, uh, or rather too little fanfare, he introduced the Bust Up Big Tech Act, which he believes will restore accountability and competition to these industry titans. Woke big tech companies like Google and Amazon have been coddled by Washington politicians for years, Hawley says. This treatment has allowed them to amass colossal amounts of power that they use to censor political um, opinions they don't agree with and shut out uh, competitors who offer consumers an alternative to the status quo. It's past time to bust up big tech, he suggests, uh, restore competition and give the power back to American consumers. Well, concurrent with his campaign against our uh, modern-day robber barons in his uh, new book, The Tyranny of Big Tech, and we're working on that interview, by the way, which was published by Regnery earlier this month after the original publisher, Simon & Schuster, shamefully canceled his um, uh, contract in January despite the uh, worst effort of the speech suppressors at Simon & Schuster. Holly's book is already a bestseller, having finished its first week ranked sixth on the publisher's weekly list and 15th on Amazon's Amazon's list, rather. Well, the irony is the book is about the control big tech has over our politics, apparently proving the point, and over our society. Uh, Holly says um, it was big tech that led the effort to get this canceled. This is a book that corporate leftists don't want anybody to read, and for good reason. This is all about how big tech and mega corporations are working hand-in-hand with big government to try to run our country, silence our speech, and take over our government. Well, Hawley's book has three parts. The first is a look at the original corporate monopolies in the Gilded Age, the rail, steel, and oil barons. The second is a look at today's version of uh, these same giants, Amazon, Google, Facebook, and Twitter among them. And the third is a look at um, his antitrust ideas including the aforementioned legislation and his ideas of loosening the uh, extraordinary influence of big tech and our daily lives. Well, rather than being able to speak our minds and govern ourselves, we're being silenced and crushed into compliance by big tech's corporate leftists. Well, as Holly writes in his book, and again, we're working on setting up an interview to talk about this book, our republic has never been more um, hierarchical, more riven by class, more managed by an elite than it is today. That is corporate liberalism's legacy, but it need not be our future. Uh, so that book, um, the tyranny of big tech is definitely worth reading, and will uh, and the op-ed, as I mentioned, is also worth reading in the Wall Street Journal, and we'll certainly make the effort to uh, 
bag the um, interview on that very subject. Well, airline passengers may be required to um, step on the scale at the airport or share how much they weigh before boarding a flight. That's according to a new report suggesting that's the way it ought to be. Well, data airlines uh, used to uh, measure passengers' weight to ensure safety on board planes, and they may be outdated as the obesity rate in the U.S. increases. Well, now um, air carriers may have to update average passenger weight, according to the airline blog View from the Wing, citing a, a circular advisory sent out by the Federal Aviation Administration. If you don't like the idea, well... Talk to the FAA. Now, we're out of uh, time here. We need to take a quick break because I have a conversation coming up with Dr. James Gall. His book is titled The Feeler, Discovering How Sensitivity Helps You Discern and Act on God's Voice. That's coming up next here on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest points out that the scriptures give us a full-color picture of a God who is moved by emotions, such as yearning, love, and compassion. Our human emotions reflect the emotional qualities of our Creator who made us in His image. Feelings have a vital place in any believer's life, not just in those who have a more sensitive nature, like my next guest, uh, due to their personalities. Well, The Feeler, the name of the book we're going to be talking about, discovering how sensitivity helps you discern and act on God's voice. It was written by Dr. James Gall. He delivers a remarkable biblical perspective on our emotions and how they help us to discern and act on God's voice. Well, Dr. Gall is the founder and president of God Encounters Ministries. He's an international best-selling author, a certified life language coach, and uh, advisor to leaders and ministries, and a uh, recording artist. He's a member of the Harvest International Ministries International Apostolic Team and an instructor for the Wagner Leadership Institute and Christian Leadership University. He has ministered in more than 50 nations and is a prolific author. He's also recorded multiple classes with the corresponding study guides and full curriculum kits. I don't know how he's found the time to join us here today, but uh, Dr. Gall will join us. Uh, The Feeler is the title of the book, Discovering How Sensitivity Helps You Discern and Act on God's Voice. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's great to be with you, and you do a good job. Well, thank you. You know, my best friend is someone who is very sensitive, and she and I have had this conversation many times. She's been told throughout her life, you're just too sensitive. She's just now come to the point in her life where she recognizes that this is the makeup that God has designed for her and how that is uh, part of how you know he is calling her to not only know and serve him, but to serve others. So I'm really grateful for your book, The Feeler, because I think um, the way she has felt about being an emotional person and a sensitive person is how many people who would fit and describe themselves in that category feel about their makeup and are, are dismissed because of it. No, that is actually true. Too often, I'm going to use a, you know, just a little phrase, we pigeonhole people. Yes. And I'm trying to undo that redemptively. Now, it is true, sometimes too many people live life with their feelings on their sleeve, as we say. But our God is the creator and the maker of our emotions. And God is an emotive God. I open up the first chapter of this book in that manner. And 
you really consider the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Well, I think joy has a little bit to do with emotions. And I think peace has something to do with emotions. And something called, oh, love includes emotions too. So if we take a a full view of emotions, then, and if this God, Jesus, lives inside of us, that and he wants to express himself in and through us, then, hey, then we each can be a candidate of God expressing his emotions in and through us. Well, I appreciate your introducing balance because you're right. It's possible to be led by one's emotions that can be somewhat unreliable. You write in the preface of the book, it has been quite a journey learning how to navigate this uh, dimension of being extra sensitive and eventually learn to see this quality as a blessing and not a curse. What a roller coaster ride it has been to learn how to redemptively yield this realm to the Holy Spirit and not let it control me. And I think that's a description of any aspect of our Christian life that we... uh, Uh, redemptively yield every area of our life, including um, our emotions and our sensitivity. That's absolutely true. Because here I'm talking about, again, see, we walk by faith and not by sight. Well, we often add in there, we walk by faith, not by sight and feelings. Now, we got to qualify that because our feelings, our healed feelings are a part of then our, you know, just who God has made us. Because we are made in the image and the likeness of God. And God wants us to be whole in every area of life. And yeah, I just gonna be really honest with everybody. It's been quite a roller coaster ride for me to learn to become comfortable in my own skin, because I have been personally wired, I'm going to use that word, Mm -hmm. because it might connect with other people listening. I've been wired by gifting, by calling, maybe by birth order, by where I grew up, by how I grew up, to be particularly sensitive. But I want people to also know this. The Holy Spirit is sensitive. And not only is the Holy Spirit sensitive, we must learn to be sensitive to the sensitive Holy Spirit. (laughs) So it's quite a bit of a fun dance to go on and then to teach people how to walk this out in a practical and not overly mystical, Mm -hmm. practical, real way in life. Well, how do our emotions impact our relationship with God? Oh, wow. They do a lot because, you see, we must learn to respond right and not react. And if we have unhealed areas in our life, which most of us do, then we will react. Let's just say there's an area that we have suffered from in verbal abuse. Oh, and maybe it came from a father wound. Well, if that hasn't been healed, and we haven't, let's say, forgiven, and then it hasn't been cleansed through the blood of Jesus, and it hasn't been healed, 
then we are going to tend to have a reactionary emotional response in verse instead of a healed emotional response. Now, but when we have a healing that occurs in a wound or a trauma, and I'm just using this one like a father wound, but when it's a healed and we know that God is a good good father and that all things work together for good for those who love God been called to his service and when we really know that we then don't tend to react emotionally we tend to respond emotionally with what goodness ourselves in and through our emotions because it's how we perceive who God is that God is good. So it really does make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, people, as we all know, have been dealing with heightened emotions through this season of pandemic. Oh, what advice yeah. do you give? Um, because we, there's a lot of confusion and challenge yeah. going on right now. What's your advice? You know, that is a really good one. I'm also a certified uh, life language coach. And we find that even through our communications assessments and like pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, that there is a big difference in uh, how people are communicating. And so, and I pull all of these things together. And so I find, I'm just going to use, I don't mean this as a religious cliche at all, but keep your worship on. You know, uh, God's not given us the spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. Faith propels us fear paralyzes us and let's be a let's be a little candid for a moment in this pandemic a lot of it has been very fear based is it science based yes is it fact based yes is it amplified by a lot of fear absolutely and a lot of people have been very impacted by the fear. And let's also be honest about something else. A lot of people have been impacted by the trauma, mm-hmm. losing jobs, some people health, some people sickness, and some people, some friends or a family member okay, with sickness or death. So we have loss, we have trauma, And then we have, though, the other arena of just fear. So how do we deal with those issues? I just really want to say you got to keep your praise and your worship going. Mm -hmm. You have to. And these are one of the ways, particularly for extra, for sensitive people, you've got to keep your worship. You got to keep your worship. You got to keep the word, the word of God. If you don't keep the word grafted into your soul, James chapter 1, which is able to save your soul. That's not talking about going to heaven. That's about your mind, your will, and your emotions being washed, being cleansed, being healed, being delivered. And feeler people, oh, we all need the Word. And sensitive people all the more need the anchor of God's Word. Mm -hmm. So keep your worship on, keep the Word in you, 
and on you, and keep your helmet of hope on, the full armor of God. And it's the helmet of salvation, but it's also called the helmet of hope. And hope is the positive expectation of good. So those are three little things. Keep your worship on, keep in the word, and keep your helmet of hope that something good is just about to happen. Amen. We're talking with Dr. James Gall, his latest book, The Feeler, Discovering How Sensitivity Helps You Discern and Act on God's Voice. I need to take a quick break, but we'll return in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. James Gall. He's the author of The Feeler, Discovering How Sensitivity Helps You Discern and Act on God's Voice. Now, earlier in our conversation, you uh, mentioned that you grew up as a sensitive child. Are there ways that we can avoid being oversensitive? Oh, wow, being overly sensitive. So, one, then, if you um, are a parent and you are have, you know, different children all have a different bent. The book of Proverbs says so. Creating a safe place is so very important. So very important. And so, um, man, there's a whole lot that I could say about this. So I grew up as a extra sensitive child, again, by gift and calling by personality, by many different reasons and ways. I was the child that did like being alone. I was the child that often, though, felt like on the outside looking in. Now, these children are often very creative, but they need to feel safe. And um, prayers of a father and a mother, and I'm going to lean into this moment and just say, the prayers of a mother make all the difference in the world. But creating safe places are so important. And this is a huge subject that I can't really develop in this time right now with you. I would love to. And so I just got to kind of bounce that ball and to the audience just say, hey, creating a safe place for sensitive children is very important and help them debrief and unpack because they pick up things and they then internalize. So help them unpack, create a safe place and let them know that they know that they know that they have a good, good heavenly father who loves them at all times. How do we train our senses? Obviously, we everything yeah. about us, we submit to the Lordship of Christ. How do we train our senses that so often can uh, mislead us or uh, deprive us of, of peace? Well, again, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14 says, Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now, some people probably render this, have their senses trained to discern good versus evil. But the mature need to discern both good and evil. And, but it says through practice. And so 
this is so important. It's through practice sessions. So I want everybody out there to know this. Allow yourself a learning curve. Allow yourself practice sessions. Allow yourself that there's in everything in life, when you learn to ride a bicycle, you have training wheels at first, and that's practice. And then you take off perhaps one, and then you take them both off, and then you push the child down a little ways, and the bicycle falls over, and you help the child get up, and you keep on going. And then sooner or later, you're rejoicing because the child has learned to ride the bike by themselves. But it takes training sessions. Well, it's the way for us, too, even in this area. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained so we learn to train through practice, and it is the way for every single one of us. At the end of each one of your chapters, and they're very practical to help uh, the sensitive to navigate their relationship with Christ and to bring even their sensitivity under his lordship. At the yeah. end of each of your chapters, you have a prayer of a passionate heart. Yeah. Can you explain how the chapters are designed and how that prayer helps the reader uh, to really uh, apply what they've learned? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, you know what I also do? It's not only how I close, it's how I open every chapter. I open every chapter with a verse of the Bible because I'm framing it with the Word of God. Then I close it with prayer because we need to learn to practice to pray what we've been taught. We're not just supposed to be hearers of the word only, but we need to learn to pray the word, pray the teaching. It's just like, it's too, it's sad that a lot of people might go to church, hear a sermon, and do nothing with it. So I'm giving us a template, the word, and then I teach, and then I'm giving us a practical application of to pray the principles into being. And that's what we need to do with everything in our life. And particularly, that's what I'm trying to do in discovering how sensitivity helps you discern and act on God's voice. We're talking about the book titled The Feeler, Discovering How Sensitivity Helps You Discern and Act on God's Voice. My guest is Dr. James Gall. How much of a difference has it made for you and you would expect for your readers who are sensitive uh, to come to understand how uh, their sensitivity can help them discern and act on God's voice? What difference has that made in your walk with the Lord and how do you anticipate that might affect others? You know, thank you so much. You know, I wrote I've written different books. I've written over 40-some books. One of the books that was a pioneer book over 15 years ago was called The Seer. So I've written The Seer. I've written The Prophet. I've written Dream Language. And I've written um, the, you know, different ones. The Discerner is an excellent complement to this one, The Feeler. Now, the, The Seer, when it came out over 15 years ago, the word that I got and I still get It's translated in over 20 languages. The word I get still to this day is, that book gave me sanity. You know the word that I'm getting from people already, because this is a best-selling book already. 
the word I'm getting from people around the world already is, oh, my gosh, James, thank you for writing this book, because now I feel sane, because people have been labeled. They've been categorized in wrong ways. And this is helping give a dimension of like, hey, wait, we need to we need to uh, redeem this. I'm not giving people a license see, to be led by their emotions. I'm helping people to get healed, be made whole, but also realize this is a part of all of our lives. We are made in the image and the likeness of God. God is a creator, and God is Holy Spirit is sensitive, and we are to be sensitive to him. And so one of the major things is that this is actually granting a dimension of like, wow, aha moments to people. And I sure hope that it's going to bring healing, safety, wholeness, and just that enlightenment of thousands of people around the world. Well, uh, Dr. Gall, I so appreciate you writing the book and taking the time to talk with us about it. Again, Dr. James Gall is the author of The Feeler, Discovering How Sensitivity Helps You Discern and Act on God's Voice. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, blessings to you and your show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Tomorrow on the program, we're going to feature the best of The Georgine Rice Show. I have an important test uh, coming up tomorrow, and it will, um, it will give me information as to my medical future. Uh, without going into detail, I would certainly appreciate your prayer. So I will be out tomorrow, but back on Wednesday, and I hope I'll have some kind of report. I'm not entirely certain. Uh, the day of the test, I'll get a report, but uh, if I do, I'll pass along what I can. On Wednesday, we'll talk with Everett Piper. Dr. Piper is the author of Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. The book is published by Regnery. We've had him on the program before. He's a college uh, president. He's been a professor. He works with young people. Really looking forward to that conversation. On Thursday, we'll talk with Jack Phillips. Yeah, that Jack Phillips. His book, The Cost of My Faith, How a Decision in My Cake Shop took me to the Supreme Court. That's coming up on Thursday. So just some things to look forward to. Well, PBS documentary is highlighting Billy Graham's impact on U.S. politics and the evangelical movement. It's going to be featured on the American Experience, uh, the Emmy Award winning history series from PBS, featuring the world renowned evangelist, as they refer to Billy Graham. And it's new documentary that delves into his struggles with Humility and pride as he single-handedly influenced American politics while leading millions to Jesus. So it's interesting when PBS uses the phrase, his struggle with humility and pride uh, evokes a certain set of ideas. When Billy Graham refers to his struggle with humility and pride, knowing Billy Graham and his heart, it evokes a whole different set of ideas. So you can make of that what you will. And I have to admit to being a bit skeptical that PBS is going to get it right. Billy Graham was not motivated by politics, nor was his desire to have a political impact, although his work ultimately and invariably had impact uh, in uh, the political realm. Anyway, American experience has highlighted people in history for more than 30 years. And the new documentary on Graham premieres uh, tonight at 9 p.m. 
uh, on all PBS stations. Now, you might want to check that for the uh, Portland area, for the Pacific Northwest, but I believe it's 9 p.m. I do know it's tonight. The film opens by telling the evangelist's story from his modest beginnings on a North Carolina farm to how he became the dynamic preacher that impacted Christianity and America even today. As journalist Nancy Gibbs notes in the film, Billy Graham became, at some points in the 1950s, the most famous man in the world. Uh, The director um, of Billy Graham, Sarah Colt, told the Christian Post of why PBS chose to highlight the late minister that is remarkable given this and his role in initiating a new relationship between Christianity and politics and our country's history. As we argue in the film, his story is a must for American experience. Uh, now, again, his intention was not to impact American politics, although he did impact the lives of American politics. So their telling of the story, uh, as I mentioned, I'm a bit skeptical because their calculus is everything stems from politics uh, whether it's an expression of religion or uh, anything else. So their uh, their starting point will be Billy Graham is motivated by a desire to impact politics, I'm guessing, uh, and uh, his evangelical uh, practice of evangelism was the tool to do that. Well, the film argues that Billy Graham and his early fundamentalist sermons harness the apocalyptic anxieties of a post-atomic world, exhorting audiences to adopt the only possible solution, devoting one's life to Christ, the synopsis notes. American Experience also ventures, and I'm reading from their material, ventures into how Graham parted ways with his initial preaching style and became an international celebrity who built a media empire, preached to millions worldwide, and had the ear of tycoons, royalty, and presidents. And was he talking about legislation? Was he talking about um, uh, anything other than the gospel? Well... Graham's relationship to President Dwight Eisenhower is critical to understanding his role in initiating a new relationship between Christianity and politics in our nation's history, which, and again, I'm quoting, tells me there's been a lack of understanding between uh, a lack of understanding of the relationship between Christianity and politics that began at the nation's very founding. Uh, Anyway, they go on. Graham is an important player in understanding this shift that happens under Eisenhower toward a Christian nationalism. Colt asserted when speaking of Graham's influence in politics. By the time of his death at age 99, and it it estimated uh, that Graham preached in person in 2010, um, or rather to 210 million people, the film directed by Colt, produced by Helen um, Dobrinsky, and executive producer Cameo George, showcases how Graham was the catalyst for the current evangelical movement in America, but also how he used his gifts as a speaker to share the gospel of Christ worldwide, which is so interesting because his gifts were were um, used as a speaker to share the gospel of Christ worldwide, but they see this as a catalyst for a movement in America that is political in nature. So again, a very different perspective. So I think the way they choose to tell the story is as telling as the story itself. Uh, may be questionable in terms of the emphasis they place on certain aspects of it. Um, There was an interview that you can find online at ChristianPost.com that you might find interesting in which uh, they ask several questions of uh, the uh, director. For example, why was it important to highlight Billy Graham for this particular program? And his political impact was also heavily featured in the film, saying he used Christianity to polarize. Uh, We see President Truman uh, peg himself as a showman, Eisenhower embrace him and Graham's devastation uh, following the Nixon scandal. Uh, What were you hoping viewers took away from his involvement in politics? 
Um, how did you get Graham's sister, Jean Ford, to share about her uh, brother's life, which apparently is part of it? Um, she opened up about uh, that. And his moral integrity was something praised by many. He always uh, received an ordinary preacher's salary, made sure to safeguard himself around other women. What can preachers learn from that today? And you'll be interested to see how that's uh, uh, that's addressed in the documentary. But Colt, I'll just quote from uh, the Christian Post, uh, in, the, in these aspects, uh, Graham practiced what he preached, and his lack of hypocrisy bolsters his image in the public eye. Many evangelists before him became embroiled in various scandals that undermined their message. Billy Graham was determined not to fall into those traps, and he and his colleagues pledged to each other early on that they would be transparent in their financial and personal dealings to their credit. As far as anyone knows, they lived up to their expectations. Now, again, I find it interesting. She says, in these aspects, Graham practiced what he preached, and his lack of hypocrisy bolstered his image in the public eye. Again, I find that uh, that characterization very uh, telling and interesting. You'll recall the vice president uh, attempted to do something very similar in that he decided he would – uh, out of respect for his wife and for the sake of his own personal integrity, uh, would protect the commitment that he made. And he was uh, pilloried um, by every media outlet, every well, by everyone uh, who had no understanding or appreciation of what he was trying to do. In any event, uh, I, I find this um, whole thing very interesting, and it's going to be featured uh, this evening on PBS. You may want to um, to take the opportunity to watch it. Um, they also, in the Q&A that you can find in the Christian Post, make the point that some people featured in the documentary called Graham an advocate of the power for himself. Would you say that was the truth after showcasing his entire life's work? So these are the kinds of questions they're going to be addressing. Well, we are out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Clark Hilton Engineering, and Dan Rice for the use of his office. Once again, I'll be out of the office tomorrow, so the best of the Georgine Rice will be featured. But back with uh, Everett Piper, Dr. Piper, author of Growing Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. That's on Wednesday. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.